Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. Back from Walkabout in Australia is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Yeah, good day, mate. Uh-oh. That's just going to be this for the whole podcast now. Yeah, I reckon. Oh. <laughs> All right, that's the end of uh, this episode. <laughs> oh, God. He's giggling. Like a, like a schoolgirl. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're just two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. Yes, you get dessert first. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Episode 55. Here we are. Woo! 55. Woo woo! This case is one of the most famous missing child cases in Canadian history. Yep, I still have lots of vivid memories about this. It's a case that has haunted Canadians since March 24th, 1991. You've probably seen his face many times in missing photos, posters, online, or in television shows. Yep. One poster in particular has always stood out to me. On it is a photo of a cherubic four-year-old boy with blonde hair and blue eyes wearing a blue coat with red trim. Mm -hmm. In his hands, he proudly holds freshly caught fish. Yep. The bold headline above him in all caps reads, MISSING. The look on his face is the epitome of innocence. At the bottom of the poster is the boy's name, Michael Dunahy. Yeah. And the caption reads, Last seen... March 24th, 1991, at Blanchard School Playground, Victoria, British Columbia. Yeah, that poster, uh, much like what you said, it's 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 stuck in my head the whole time. Like, I, I'm looking at it now, but I remember it till this day. Yeah. This is, where is Michael Dunahy? Every parent's worst nightmare. We've talked about that before. Yep. Yeah, it, it's, uh, as I've talked about many a time, it's probably my biggest fear. Yeah, Probably having back. one of your kids or both or go missing. Yeah, yeah. A- anytime I let them go play outside in the playground alone, it, like it's, it, these things are always on the back of my mind. But yeah. yet I have to try to not make sure that I 
keep my kids in a bubble because of that fear. But yet it's, uh, it's there with me. It lingers all the time. On the afternoon of Sunday, March 24, 1991, Crystal and Bruce Dunahee got their young family ready to head out. Michael Dunahee was four, and his sister Caitlin was six months old at the time. The family was off to watch Crystal play in a touch football league on the field at Blanchard Elementary School at 950 Kings Road in Victoria. They piled into the car and headed off toward the field, picking up a teammate of Crystal's along the way. Michael was a playful and outgoing boy. He'd been playing with friends that morning and wanted to continue socializing. Michael knew that there was a playground nearby and would have friends to play with whose parents were also playing football on the adjacent field. Michael asked if he could play at the playground while Crystal played football. Crystal told him he'd have to wait for an answer until they got there. When they arrived, Crystal noticed other kids playing on the monkey bars, swings and slide at the small playground. It was windy, so Crystal did up Michael's jacket and put on his hood. She told him to stay only in the playground and not go anywhere else until his dad came over to get him. Michael ran off to the playground excited to see the other kids. Crystal, Bruce, Caitlin, and Crystal's friend Donna gathered up the football equipment and made their way to the football field 100 meters away. As soon as they arrived, Crystal started putting on her cleats and Bruce made his way back to the playground to check on Michael. When Bruce arrived at the playground, he couldn't find Michael anywhere. Michael was gone. In those brief few minutes, Michael Dunahee had simply vanished. Yeah, I'm sitting here with my foot twitching from anxiety. Just uh, as you're reading that, I am putting myself in those parents' shoes. It, it was literally hit. Their backs yeah. were just turned yeah. for, it seemed like, moments, I'm sure, to them. Yeah, and it's something that parents probably replay, not even those who've had it happen to them, but we, yeah. we play those scenarios through in our head. And so when the reading one that actually happened, I think a lot of parents can really kind of get uh, anxious, like as I am just sitting here shaking and uh, like, God, my God, I, I, yeah, I can't, I can't even really articulate it. Victoria is the capital of BC and it's a small, quiet, laid back city on Vancouver Island. We had a meet up there. Yeah, I, I love it. I absolutely love the island. I love it too. It's only accessible by ferry, boat, or plane. A four-year-old disappearing without a trace is a big deal to that community. It yeah. would be even today. Yep, yep. Did Michael just wander off? Police and volunteers from all over Victoria started looking for Michael as soon as Bruce and Crystal raised the alarm. They just simply went to the community police station just at the southeast corner of the school grounds. Here's a report from Global News Archives from the day after Michael's disappearance. Note, it mistakenly says that Bruce was playing touch football, but we now know that it was Crystal, a detail that might have been missed in the panic mm -hmm. early on to yeah. find Michael. 
The most distinguishing feature is his age. Michael Dunahy is only four. He was wearing um, pants cut out of this material, and they're a rugby-style pants, and his jacket is a solid blue, this shade of blue, and it's got red, red trim on it, down on the cuffs, and it's got red in, inside lining in it. Bruce Dunahy was playing in a touch football tournament yesterday behind Blanchard Elementary School. That's where his son went missing during the noon hour. Police are talking to children who regularly play there. An RCMP search helicopter fitted with heat-seeking equipment flies low over the neighborhood on the west side of the city. So let's head up there and break off into our two vehicles. An army of 100 searchers, sometimes as many as 200, looks everywhere, in the water, under bushes, and even in garbage cans. They're taking photographs of the boy door to door, hoping someone has seen him. There have been three searches of the immediate area. So we're having an ongoing search right now, so if maybe you can talk to some of your neighbors or any friends or anything. Have you put the bus stops, bus stops like the ferry terminals? Not yet, to my knowledge. Oh, geez, they should have done that hours ago. They might have. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, are, they on, are they on the ferries now? It's a search which has captured the interest of everyone. The effort has been non-stop. Have everybody, if they could, just take a look out in their own backyards and maybe their neighbors' backyards and check down their basements. He might have crawled in overnight, got cold. He's a good walker. He walks quite the distance, two, three miles. There's nothing for him to walk, so he could be just about anywhere. He's more than likely a little hungry, too. Appreciate all the help. An escalated police effort has another 15 officers searching from house to house. There have been several apparent sightings, including the report of a couple and a child getting into a car in the area where Michael went missing. All have proved false. Anyone with information should call Victoria Police. Oh, it's chilling. Uh, Bruce was describing Michael's outfit with the aid of visuals, so we'll give you a bit more of a detailed description of Michael Wayne Dunahy and what he was wearing that day. Mm. But I will link to the video in our show notes so you can have a look for yourself. Yeah, do it. It'll be great. Michael was last seen wearing a blue hooded jacket with red lining and red cuffs, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles t-shirt, multicolored rugby pants, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles underpants, and blue sneakers. His date of birth is May 12, 1986. He's been missing since March 24, 1991. He's missing from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Characteristics, Michael was starting to show freckles when he disappeared. Eyes blue, hair blonde, and at the time of his disappearance, he was three feet tall and weighed approximately 51 pounds. All those descriptions combined with his age of four is just like as I think you said earlier, the epitome of innocence. Like that age, there's nothing corrupt. No, it's just absolutely not. It's just pure goodness and, and kindness. And oh, God. Michael's disappearance was initially treated as though he'd just wandered off. Kids get lost all the time. Mm -hmm. I remember our neighbor, Lynn, I've talked about that before. She wandered off and she was just found hanging out with a safe with a friend at a house and just neglected to call her parents. There was no sign of Michael. Cops changed their thinking quickly. It was starting to appear as though Michael Dunahy had not just wandered away. Yep. The thought was now abduction. Oh, jeez. The kids at the playground were of no real help. One 10-year-old girl who'd been playing hide-and-seek in the playground said she saw Michael get into a shiny brown van, 
but then her story didn't seem to make sense to investigators. I don't know. You have kids of that age. Yep. And, you know, maybe under the pressure of, <sighs> of being questioned by police, they might get their facts wrong or yeah, get mixed up. It's difficult to say. I mean, uh, eyewitness reports from adults are are difficult to yeah. substantiate and, and often not accurate. Oh, absolutely. So Jim uh, Clementi, uh, the FBI profiler, yeah. says uh, eyewitness accounts are usually... <laughs> are usually the worst. Yeah, yeah. I've watched a lot of programs where they have tried to uh, do uh, examples on how easy it is for people to be inaccurate, and it's quite, quite yeah, substantial. It's... But yeah, so then you add to it like being 10, and um, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's very difficult to take any uh, eyewitness reports from a 10-year-old and have absolute belief this is accurate. Yeah, for sure. Here's some more audio from the Global News Archives from day two of Michael being missing. Four-year-old Michael Dunahy was playing hide-and-seek just meters from his parents when he disappeared Sunday afternoon. He was last seen with two other children in a Blanchard Street playground on Victoria's west side. There was an immediate search of the area. By Sunday night, hundreds of volunteers were looking for the boy. But the search turned up little, and by Monday, a police helicopter with heat-seeking equipment was dispatched to check the local woods. Coast Guard officials used their resources, including Zodiacs, to comb a nearby waterway. The search was aborted last night with no trace, and police say they now think Michael was abducted from the schoolyard where he was playing. The investigation has taken a turn. Because of the, the swiftness in which uh, young Michael uh, disappeared from the playground, the immediate search that was launched that failed to turn up anything, and then the comprehensive search that was launched by the, the rescue uh, organization. Uh, we're quite satisfied at this point in time that uh, young Michael has been abducted. Victoria authorities are looking for a shiny brown van that witnesses say the child was near just before he went missing. And Michael's parents and the police are making a public plea for help. Any person or persons that may well be involved in this um, to think of the of what they're putting the parents through uh, by taking uh, young Michael in this in this fashion, and I would appeal to them that uh, if they can, uh, to certainly let young Michael go, and to contact uh, the police or somebody to convey where we might find uh, young Michael. Anyone with any information about the missing four-year-old is asked to contact the Victoria Police. <sighs> I wonder how differently this would play out uh, this day and age in regards to uh, uh, technology is substantially different and it's it's everywhere. Yeah, not there, to say there'd that probably be video of cars coming into the neighborhood. Well, that's a, like I was watching something while away on. Um, oh, I can't remember the specifics. A father in the states who killed his wife and uh, two children recently and so uh, like a lot of where they got um, evidence from was those uh, uh, door monitoring ring and whatnot yeah and, and footage of him walking to and from his vehicle yep. at times and stuff so like much like the Douglas Garland case yeah so it, it's it's uh, you know not to say that it would have been solved or anything like that or any different outcome but it would have been interesting you know maybe somebody's uh, uh, door monitor caught a vehicle driving or something. Or Michael walking with somebody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, this just, this scares the shit out of me. As tips and leads came in, and there were many, police followed up on each one. 
just in time to distract things and create even more of a panic. Mm. A child disappeared from a Duncan, B.C. grocery store, only to turn up with his mother at the police station next day. Mm. The mother was later charged with her own child's abduction. Sadly, this red herring, at just the wrong time, may have led investigators in the wrong direction, killing valuable time in finding Michael Dunahee. Oh, yeah. Because it's such, you know, those first few days are so crucial. Michael's mother, Crystal, spoke out on the third day since Michael's disappearance. Again, from Global News Archives, here's what she had to say. They're still looking. <laughs> no one's giving up, which is great to hear. We, we really appreciate everyone's support that's out there. And um, that's about all I can say. I don't know what else to say. Do you have anything that you want to say to anyone who might have information or might be with Michael? If they have any information on Michael's whereabouts or if Michael is even watching, he must be aware that his parents love him very much and we just would like to have him home. Do you want to say anything directly to Michael if he is watching? Michael, we love you. Do what you can to make it known that you don't want to stay there. You want to come home. Your family's here waiting for you. Anything to say to someone who might have Michael? Please take care of him. Send him home. He's a loved boy. We just want him home. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <sighs> yeah. Incredibly well composed. Yeah. Michael clearly comes from a hardworking, loving, honest, and stable middle-class family. Mm-hmm. Bruce and Crystal had been happily married since October 8th, 1983 at that time. And there was no family-motivated abduction. Mm-hmm. It had to be the most feared and hardest to solve of all abductions, non-family or stranger abduction. Yeah. Stranger abduction is a rare thing, especially in a safe city like Victoria, it was unheard of there in 1991. In 2013, according to missingkids.ca, across Canada, there were 33 reports made of stranger abductions in 2013. Hmm. Stranger abductions included abductions made by strangers, relatives, and close friends. More female children, 19, than male children, 14, were reported missing. So 33 across Canada in 2013 and it's probably trends, you know, a few up and down from there. But it, thirty-three doesn't seem like a whole hell of a lot. But uh, if, to those thirty-three parents, from what yeah, from what I've read, um, stranger abduction is that rare everywhere. Yeah, really? all the statistics that yeah, I read, yeah. we kind of have the same uh, a tenth of their population. Interestingly, yep, yep. Um, it's a similar number in the U.S. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Not not at all what I was thinking, but uh, that doesn't lessen the absolute terror. Oh, the terror you know? of, of oh, having your I, child yeah. go missing, Jeez. for sure. In a Vancouver Sun article from March 28, 1991, one Vancouver Island woman claimed she'd seen a woman who had tried to abduct her child years before driving mm. a brown VW van with a blonde-haired child beside her. She claimed the van had BC plates, and had been parked in an alley near the school. Hmm. Other than this article, this was the only mention of a VW model van 
or the fact that a woman was driving. Yeah. We're unsure this is a real actual lead or not, but it's it was just something I read in the paper. And you're going to get so many uh, reports that uh, are inaccurate, going to lead nowhere. So, I mean, it's got to be tough from the police side of things as to what to put their most attention into. Yeah, we noticed that in the Nicole Morin case yes. when we covered that one yes, as well. Yes, It was just girl walks out the door, missing. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. You know? Yep. Poof. <laughs> A team of 16 investigators were looking into every tip. On the 30th of March, the Vancouver Sun printed an article stating that $25,000 was being offered to have Michael Dunahee return safely. Hmm. One anonymous woman donated $10,000 to the fund herself. Oh, wow. This article also was accompanied by a sketch of a man who'd been seen in the area. The police wanted to speak to him as a person of interest. From the article, police describe the man as Caucasian male in his late 30s or early 40s who is almost bald. His short grayish hair is receding, very thin on top, and is combed to one side. He was described as having a large nose and prominent ears. He was wearing a gray rugby pants and a blue jacket with white stripes across the front. Police believe the man is between 163 and 170 centimeters tall. That's 5 foot 4 to 5 foot 7. He has a chubby build weighing 68 kilograms, 150 pounds or more. And we're looking at uh, the sketch of the guy right now. You know who that sketch looks like to me? Let's not say. Well, no, it's 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 a famous. It's a Son of Sam. It, he does kind of look like yeah. Son of Sam. Yeah, he does. A little bit. I, was, uh, I wasn't going to name, like, that looks like Brian, who I we know. hang on. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be bad. Uh, at that point, cops had their hands full with 950 tips, including 200 of just brown vans to look into yeah. alone. Yeah, exactly. Michael Dunahy uh, sightings were coming from the Lower Mainland, Vancouver Island, and nearby Washington State. Because it is, there's a ferry from Victoria to Washington State. And we will talk about that later. Exactly. By April 1st, less emphasis was being given to the brown van theory. Mm. A couple of sightings had been cleared up, turning out to be other children entirely. Mm. Police began to focus on finding anyone in the area who may have witnessed what happened on March 24th. The witness suspect in the sketch was still someone cops wanted to talk to desperately. More of a description of the man came out. Apparently he was very muscular and out of place in the neighborhood. Mm. His muscles bulged out of his rugby pants. Okay. 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 And uh, his jacket was medium blue with a single white stripe. Okay. Police had hypnotized a woman to get a license plate for a vehicle she'd seen in the area. Oh, don't get me started. Yep. There's going to be more of that. Oh, great. The reward grew to $40,000. Police were still optimistic that they would solve Michael's disappearance. On April 3rd, 1991, police used a helicopter to search an area near Souk, B.C., mm. but it was to no avail. Mm. Police at, at that time said they believed that Michael Dunahee's abductor might be someone who has recently lost a child of their own or cannot have one or was looking to perhaps even buy a child. Yeah, I remember that was a pretty heavy belief at the time, more so than we hear about now. At that time, there was a lot of belief in in uh, being abducted to be a part of a family. Yeah, they didn't think that Michael was a target. They really believed that he was a, a crime of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. On April 5th, 1991, 
Michael Dunahy's story appeared on America's Most Wanted for the first time. I watched it. For those of you who don't remember the show, America's Most Wanted was hosted by John Walsh, father of Adam Walsh, abducted from a Florida mall in the 80s and later murdered. Mm -hmm. John Walsh has made a career of helping solve unsolved cases and for obvious reason has a soft spot for child abductions. Well, and these two cases are always kind of... uh paralleled in some ways for me in the in the sense of both children taken from a very public area yeah because you envision that's not going to be where it, it happens. shouldn't be easy yeah but yet yeah one was taken I, I believe adam walsh was taken in a sears i believe it was yeah, like a mall yeah his mom was going to continue shopping and he's like i just want to go play that the video game system over here and the, and but a public area. Same with Michael Donahue, a very public park with people all over the place. The show brought thousands of tips from across North America. Mm-hmm. Michael's face was printed on cards and distributed to truck stops and bus depots all across the U.S. and Canada. His face was also printed on milk cartons, uh, as was widespread practice at the time. Yeah, yeah. I I don't remember those, but uh, I don't know if we ever had them in Canada, to tell you the truth, because I, I don't recall it. I, I really think it was an American, uh, U.S. Uh, mm. U.S. thing, because uh, it, we'd see it in the media here. We'd always see, like, the, you know, uh, oh, you'll end up on the back of a milk carton kind of uh, expression, but uh, yeah. I don't remember ever seeing one. On April 8th, 1991, a New Jersey detective, having seen America's Most Wanted, called in to say he'd believed he'd seen Michael Dunahy at a convenience store in his state. Yeesh. Cops began looking into the veracity of that tip as it had come from a police officer. Yeah, yeah. On April 10th, 1991, police began to focus more on the people at the football field that day and what they might have seen, re-interviewing everyone. Yeah. The Dunahees were blown away with the response Michael's case had gotten. Cards and letters of support were pouring in. New Jersey police were still investigating the possible sighting there. Like, that's about as far... New Jersey is, like, the exact opposite side of the continent. It's pretty far away. Yeah, yeah. I've been there, and it's... Yeah, it's... It is drivable, though, in a week and a bit. Oh, not for me, but... (laughs) It definitely is. But, no, it it definitely is, is yeah, without a doubt. The Dunhees, their family and friends, kept their own command center to find Michael and keep the search active. Mm Mm-hmm. As they searched, the reward for Michael's return grew to $80,000 by mid-April, not a month after his disappearance. In the Vancouver Sun, another article, Bruce Dunahy gave more insight into Michael's personality. From the article, Michael may be dressed differently now, says his father, but he's got some characteristics that won't change quickly. He often rubs both his ears at the same time. And he likes to squat on his haunches, his forearms resting on his knees. And he's stubborn, says Dunahee. Good boy. Yeah. Things have got to be just so, especially with eating. The ketchup has to be in the right place on his plate. <laughs> he loves his cartoons, DuckTales, Chippendale, and Disney cartoons. <sighs> one of the posters, this one that we mentioned earlier, shows Michael holding a brace of trout his grandfather took the picture when the two of them were camping at Lake Cowichan last year. Mm. The Dunahees loved to fish, and Michael was no exception. My dad rows the boat, and my son catches the fish, says Bruce Dunahy, smiling for a moment, almost as if he expects to go fishing tomorrow. He is so patient in a boat, said the elder Dunahy. He's not like a fidgety kid. He'd sit in the boat with me for hours. 
Oh, this just makes this even more difficult. The Dunahees were not ready to give up, obviously, and employed others to stay vigilant in the search for their beautiful little boy. Yeah, for sure. My God. I, how would I don't even know how how I would ever sleep again, right? Like I can't. But you'd have to, because or, you're no good to anybody if you are sick and upset yourself. You'd have to compose yourself at some point. Uh, for sure. And I mean, I, I downplay what I my coping abilities, but uh, you find out what you're really made of in in those in, kind of, in times like that. But I really hope I never have to find out what no, I'm made of. I hope you don't. Near the same New Jersey neighborhood as previous, on April 19, 1991, there was another potential sighting of Michael Dunahee. This time, the man was described as black with a pockmarked face. A woman said she'd seen the boy with the man in a ShopRite store in Berlin Township. She approached the boy and asked him if his name was Michael Dunahee. The boy said, I want to see my mommy. Oh, wow. Okay. The woman claimed she was 95% sure it was Michael. Police were again investigating this lead thoroughly. There were other leads too from all over Canada and the U.S. and lost them here in the West. Yeah, yeah. This most recent sighting prompted America's most wanted to run Michael's story a second time with an update. Yep. Two men in a flatbed truck in neighboring Nanaimo were being sought for attempting to abduct two young girls in mid-April. Hmm. However, it turned out there was no conclusive proof these two cases were related to Michael. Yeah, well, I think any related uh, occurrences Activity. is going to definitely put up uh, the flag. Yeah, have the police and have the public um, questioning for sure. So it's really easy to kind of uh, get pulled into those things, but uh, we have to trust that the police are uh, capable of uh, ruling them out or including them. On April 25th, 1991, the FBI got involved. Kate Lines, now retired Ontario Provincial Police, was learning criminal profiling at Quantico at the time. Oh, and that's the place to do it. She was one of the first Canadian profiles, and this was one of her first cases. Oh, wow. You can learn more about Kate's cases in her book, Crime Scene, and that scene spelled S-E-E-N. She ended up being involved in many different high-profile Canadian cases, including Kristen French, who was uh, one of the victims of Paul Bernardo. Oh, is she like Canada's John Douglas? Well, John Douglas taught her. Yeah. I watched an interview where she talked about uh, working with John Douglas. I want to I wanna look into this. Yep, it's a good book. Yeah. Although the full details of the FBI profile of Michael Dunahee's abductor are mostly secret, as this is still an open case, yep. some hints were given about the type of person that may have perpetrated this crime. Yep. The suspect was considered to be male. He may be married or living with a woman in the Victoria area. Hmm. He may be a loner who hangs around playgrounds. He may be someone people were used to seeing out and about more often, but he may have been laying low at this time, waiting until he thought it was safe to come out again. Hmm. If he was a loner, he could have been keeping Michael in his apartment and staying there with the boy. Hmm. Police said they wanted people to report anyone who was acting abnormally around the time of Michael's disappearance. Yeah. They asked employers to report someone not showing up for work or making excuses to be away around the time Michael Dunahee advantaged. Hmm. I like that one. They also said that people close to this individual, and this is a quote, People close to this individual will know he has some deep-rooted problem. Mm -hmm. They believe this man was more apt to attempt to lure older boys between 10 and 12, but saw Michael Dunahee as an opportunity. Michael Dunahee was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
Statistics show just over 40% of stranger abductions are crimes of opportunity. Mine was. Yeah, mine was groomed. You were uh, groomed, but yeah, yeah. mine was definitely uh, an opportunity. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting profile. Um, It doesn't seem... Very specific. It's pretty pretty vague. It's pretty vague for sure. Um, He could be a loner or he could not be a loner. Yeah. You know, uh, not to knock, not to knock the profile because it's a very difficult thing to do if you try to get too specific and you're wrong. Or there may have been more specifics that would have cleared all that up for us that they just can't give us because it would identify something that they don't want to give away. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I'm not, I'm not knocking it, but just what was released was a bit, bit vague, but uh, I I suspect that this, I highly suspect that this wasn't his first uh, uh, assault anyways. We'll post a link to the various type of lures that predators use to lure children in the show notes from missingkids.ca site, as well as explaining the type of lures. It gives teaching aids for how to talk with your kids about these and how they should deal with each one of them. Yeah, I, I have these conversations frequently with my kids. Uh, I They watch true crime shows with me. Yeah. At uh, soon to be nine and 11, and some people criticize me for that, but... Um, I want them to be aware of what is out there, but not live in fear at the same time. You want them to be savvy. I, I do. And and they certainly are from it. And they're not traumatized or scared by watching these shows. We are having constant dialogue through it about what's happening. But I, I want them, and specifically child abduction related ones or child assault related ones, I yeah. want them to uh, understand uh, why we tell them to not do certain things. We've seen the lures in many different true crime stories like Ted Bundy's methods being the most famous, often playing injured to prey on the goodness of others to lure some unsuspecting co-ed. That was a lure that was used on me. It was the old, do you have the time trick? Mm, And it put me right in the monster's clutches, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So putting myself into this creep's head as briefly as I could... I'm wondering if this guy saw the kids playing hide-and-seek and and watched where Michael went. Then he'd stroll up to Michael in his spot and say, hey, do you want a better place to hide? Come on over to my van, car, truck, whatever. Yeah, I I definitely think he was lured and not grabbed because in that public, you don't want to risk uh, the kid yelling or something. So it's got to be get him to where you want him to be. Yeah. So a trusting four-year-old would just happily bounce off thinking, what a great idea. This guy's going to give me a really good hiding space. My friends will never find me. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm pretty certain I'd have fallen for that as a kid. Yeah. And, and, you know, or the thing I always go with my kids because they just love animals is, you know, it can vary. That old dog. It can, exactly. Like, hey, can you help me find my dog? Like, so it's... Yeah, it, it, your your uh, hypothesis is is a very uh, plausible one. Well, I did actually while I was writing remember getting into a car with a stranger one oh day God. when I was a kid. Oh my God! So I know uh, <laughs> I'm still here. So clearly, but I, I remember it uh, very vividly actually because I got in trouble. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, good. Um, one day it's raining. And I'm walking home with my buddy, Tim, and we've just left the elementary school. We can't have been any more than seven Mm -hmm. years old. And this lady pulls up and opens her door and says, come on, guys, get in. And without question, Tim hops in and I hop in. Yeah. And uh, 
this lady drove us home, like dropped Tim off at his place and then dropped me off at my place. And mom said she sees this car come pulling out of the yard and like, it's not a familiar car. And and she says, who was that? Yeah. And I said, oh, just a lady that dropped me off. And uh, and let's just say I caught hell. Good. Yeah. Good. It it was because I couldn't identify this person. I didn't know. Yeah. You know, so I got the talking to about strangers. So immediately mom is on the phone calling Tim's parents. Tim listens to this podcast, so he may remember this. Uh, He may not because it wasn't a big deal to him because he knew the person. Oh, he did. Yeah. Oh. So uh, um, mom's on the phone to Tim's mom and saying what's going on. And it turns out that the lady who drove me home was none other than the wife of Provincial Court Justice Joseph P. Kennedy, who later went on to become the Chief Justice of Nova Scotia Supreme Court. And he's adjudicated many of the high-profile criminal cases in that province. Whew! Yeah, so wow. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't have been in a safer car. No kidding, but... Oh, it's, but it's it still... did teach me a lesson yeah. uh, about being sure I knew the people who were offering me a ride. Well, and, and... So thank you, Mrs. Kennedy, if you ever hear this, for giving me a drive home. But I did get in shit that day <laughs> because I didn't know who you were at As the time. As you should have. Yeah. You know, it, and I mean, we're, we're up there in age. So, you know, we're talking about probably the 70s. These Absolutely. Days. And so, uh, not to say that it was okay, but there wasn't as great an awareness at all. I hitchhiked in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I also get very pissed off when I hear people talk about like, oh, wasn't like this in the old days and now kids are terrified and it wasn't like this in the old... Oh, sure it was. I was molested in the old days. So was I. So it's like, no, it's not... There were no glorious old days when nobody was being No, it's just nobody was talking about exactly. it. Exactly. Because it was it was a badge of shame, and I never reported it. Like no. it's it's absolutely it's not like there was like some utopia back then. Shit was happening. We yeah. just didn't have the uh, resources to make it as public as we do now. Well, back to the case. Back. <sighs> we've, we've digressed far enough. <sighs> the profile of the offender in Michael Dunahee's disappearance went on to say the person would most likely reoffend again and go back to hanging around schoolyards and playgrounds once he felt safe again. Yeah. I know my monster did because I saw him near Uh, the school. Oh, terrifying. And I'm sure mine did. Yeah. On May 12th, 1991, Michael's fifth birthday, a special mass was held downtown Victoria, and another vigil of over 100 candles was held in downtown Vancouver at Robson Mm, Square. Yeah. Bruce Dunahy said Michael's birthday was the hardest day yet. Oh, my God. I can only imagine. Yeah, oh. he's supposed to be there for that. Oh. Yeah. On May 28th, videotape surfaced with what appeared to be Michael in a convenience store on the island. Yeah, I remember. It was quickly determined it wasn't him, but again, the hopes of the Dunahees were raised and dashed against God, the, the shore. Got to be just a constant roller coaster. Yeah, and that's that's what I got from writing this, is that it had to be like, oh, it's up and it's down, oh and it's God. up and it's down. And I don't like roller coasters. Roller coasters scare the shit out of me. Yeah, well, they are terrifying. And I mean, even just basic things like, did I get this job or didn't I are a roller coaster enough, let alone panic about uh, the, where your child is exactly like uh, yeah well it gets no more extreme than that in my opinion 
Police were also cautious about the New Jersey sightings. Three months after Michael Dunahee's disappearance, America's Most Wanted ran the story for a third time. Oh, well. In August, three FBI behavioral scientists, profilers, came to Victoria. Police at the time were saying that they had some very real suspects and they wanted to eliminate a few. Mm. They've never publicly named them, though. So mm. it makes it it makes it tough. I mean, I guess they can't because it's Canada. You can't you can't do that. Yeah. No. Or say we uh, we think this person allegedly did this. But you think it would get out, though, because if police are questioning so-and-so's friend over and over, your friend might be like, hey, they keep asking us about, you know, like, yeah. you would think it would get out. But no, interesting, they never did. The articles in the paper started to peter off as there was not a lot of new information about Michael's disappearance. Yeah. In the meantime, though, the Dunahees kept up their bid to keep his story fresh in people's minds, contacting People magazine and Time magazine to do articles about the case. In mid-September, a jacket matching the one Michael had been last seen in appeared at a restaurant near Caslow in the B BC interior. Oh. And just an aside, Caslow is the home to my old boss in the movie biz and fan of the show, Chris. Hi, Chris. Hey, Chris. <laughs> The jacket was claimed two weeks later by a mother whose daughter had left it behind. Oh. Another dead end. Yeah. And just another... Hopes and then shattered. Dipsy-doo on the yeah. roller coaster. In October, several psychics were using information sent by the Dunahees as well as Michael's t-shirts to help. We all know how Scott feels about psychics, mm -hmm. but putting myself in the shoes of Michael's parents, I'd have done the same. I mean... Oh, well, clearly, for sure. If, if that were to happen, I would explore... Absolutely every possibility that might help me find my kid. So sure. I, I, I would not shun them away, but... Um, you would uh, think they're quacks the whole time. Uh, I currently do and would. Yeah. 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 Poppycock. The tips continued to roll in as 1991 came to a close mm. with no sign of the young boy anywhere. The reward at that time was $200,000. What happened to Michael? Let's look at the day that it all went down. So between 12.30 and 1 p.m., Michael Dunahee goes missing. Yep. Yep. Uh, shivers, yeah. So it was a half an hour time span that he, they, yeah. That. Yeah, it's probably even less. Yep. Police are notified between 20 and 40 minutes after Bruce discovers Michael is nowhere to be found. Immediately your reaction is going to be run around. Let's see if we can find him. Show yeah. his name. And I'm sure that's what happened. We, we lost Violet in the mall once, and, and yep. that's what I did, and as opposed to, like, you know, immediately police. So, yeah. for sure, it makes total sense. What, if, what could have gone on in that amount of time? If the perp was local, as the police seemed to be indicating, mm -hmm. it'd be easy to spirit the boy into a home or apartment nearby the school at 950 Kings Road. Or an abandoned location. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, why has there never been a sighting of him a definitive sighting of Michael Dunahy in Victoria. Well, I mean, if, okay, let's go with the hypothetical of maybe he was taken and brought to a home. Uh, it's not like if the person's got a carport or a garage, if, all this difficult part is getting him into the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And then you pull into a garage where the door closes, nobody will see him. Like it, it it's not that uh, ridiculous to, uh, well, to have him not be seen, but, um, Oh, but you would think neighbors would hear. So, like it's 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 crazy to to think about. But what I'm thinking is, I think it might have been somebody who was leaving the island. Now, just just mm, bear okay. with me a second. I'll bear. I'll bear. I can't 
see somebody from out of the area just stumbling onto the perfect abduction victim, why would they, they would need a reason to be in that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That neighborhood is sort of, it's a little bit off the beaten touristy path kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So maybe, maybe, and I don't know, I'm just speculating. Yep. Yep. This was someone visiting family or friends in the area and just happened to see this small child who they thought might be an easy target as they were leaving for the weekend. Hmm. I think quite the opposite uh, due to the fact that um, a crime like this, it most likely would be this individual's first, or we'd hear some parallel ones, but um, I would imagine it would be their first. You're not going to perpetrate a a huge crime like that, like abduction in an area you're unfamiliar with because you're going to want to know escape routes. You're going to want to know all these kind of things. But maybe they're from the area. Maybe they just live elsewhere now. Maybe they live on the mainland. Maybe they live in Seattle. It's a possibility. I just think that would be too high a risk. You could go back to where you're from and abduct a kid as opposed to take one and ship them across. But anything is a possibility. The ferries out here, by the way, for people hold hundreds of cars. So it's not like it's like, you know, uh, some tiny little, like our ferries are massive out here. It's about an hour and a half to two hour ferry ride to the the mainland. So... the, so the Schwartz Bay Ferry Terminal is a 32-minute drive yeah. from uh, from the school. Okay, okay. The one in Duke Point in Nanaimo is an hour and 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. However, the ones to Seattle mm-hmm. and Port Angeles are eight minutes away. Wow. Wow, okay. Right? Yeah. And the border is pretty porous thing yep. back in the early 90s, oh, yeah. late 80s. We didn't need a passport. Yep. You, they didn't even really look in your trunk. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. No, it was. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, it Have was, a nice time in Canada. Have it, a nice time in the US. A hell of a lot easier to pass through the border. Yeah. So who's to say, you know, mm-hmm. that that didn't happen? And- it would have been easier to carry somebody away on the ferry because they allowed you to sit in your car at that time. Yep. You could just sit in the car with the kid the whole time. Yep. Me thinking about that and trying to put myself in the, in the perpetrator's shoes, I just think it's too high risk. It would be uh, not something you want to you want to experience. Could they have like taken, been there, as you say, and then gone somewhere and done something and then go back home? on the ferry possibly but uh i personally i just think it had to be somebody local it just it's it's too high a risk to try to take them onto a ferry and stuff but so if it's local though yep somebody would see michael dunahy around the neighborhood you would think so but or, a, a, a vast majority of abductions are, are done locally and that's the case yeah i mean there's there's those ones where you know, people have kept somebody in a house for years and years and years. Yep, exactly. You know, that kind of stuff, the stuff that happened in Ohio to those girls in Ohio. Yes, yes. What a horrific thing that yes. was. Maybe he's a trusted traveler. Maybe it's a trucker. That's a distinct uh, possibility for sure. But if you think about the neighborhood too, now come to think of it. A big truck going by. A big truck would have stuck out like a sore thumb in that's that true. neighborhood. Yeah, that's true. So. Unless it was parked a block or so away. Yeah. I don't know, like I, I, what I'm trying to wrap my brain, my little pea brain around is the profilers aren't typically wrong. No. They give the sense that Michael is still around. Yeah. You, I always got that feeling that that was something that. They... And his family thoroughly believes that as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Crystal and Bruce and now Caitlin Dunahy, uh, have done an amazing job of keeping Michael's case alive. Mm. Uh, every few years, um. 
they'll release an age progress photo of Michael. Yep. You'll see those on the website, michaeldunahee.ca. You can learn tons and tons of stuff about the case there. And they have a walk slash run called the Michael Dunahee Keep Hope Alive Drive every uh, spring. Oh, wow. And that's dedicated to raising funds for child find and keeping awareness of Michael Dunahee that has been held every year since his disappearance. Oh, wow. So it'll be the 28th annual Family 5K walk run through the beautiful streets of Esquimalt on Sunday, March 24th, 2019 at 9 a.m. Hmm. They're already planning for it, you know. Hmm. Interestingly, when I did my cross-country drive yep. this past year, I went dipped down into the States, went through Montana, and there I stopped at the old Deer Lodge State Prison where some people believe the Zodiac may yep. have done time. Yep. It's a really great museum. If you can ever get to it, I absolutely recommend it 100% if you've never been inside a prison and don't want to commit a crime to get there <laughs> this is probably the best way you can go about it uh, one of the rooms just off the main staircase leading out of one of the cell blocks is full on all four walls with posters of missing and wanted people and as you enter the room 1100 kilometers from where we're sitting oh, right now yeah the first face you see in the middle of the wall is Michael Dunahee's, and I took a photo of it that I'm showing Scott here. Oh, wow. And I'll use that as uh, the art artwork to accompany this episode. Yeah. yeah like, it really struck me when I turned, turned, and there's this face that I've seen so many times, yeah, yeah. and it, he was, honestly, it was the last face I was expecting to see yeah. in Montana. Yeah, yeah. But it shows the level of importance behind this little little Canadian town. Yeah, and it also it shows uh, Crystal Dunahy, his mother, her persistence. Yes, has been amazing throughout these last twenty eight years. Yeah, oh. everyone in in the in the Dunahy family seems to have uh, have this. Uh, I don't, I don't know, like amazing ability to just carry on. I don't know if I would have that. I'd, I'd begun to really, I don't know if I could carry it that far. Well, and that's the thing. We don't know until we're in that situation, and I, and I hope we, we never are. But I, I have, like, my my heart is just with that family. Like, my, for them to still be here and pushing hard to find their son, uh, I just have the utmost amount of love and respect for them. So here's a weird thing. Oh. In late 2008, a man named Vernon Seats in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, admitted to murdering two children in the 1950s. He told his psychiatrist that he'd killed two kids. Okay. Upon a search of his home, they found some disturbing things, including one of Michael Dunahee's missing posters. Hmm. He'd apparently been obsessed with the abduction and murder of Jacob Wetterling in 1989. And here's a list of what investigators found according to a blog I found, but I was unable to corroborate this mm. elsewhere, but yep. we'll go ahead. There's some weird stuff here. Children's shoes. One shoe was two and a half. One shoe was three and a half. Both contained DNA. They were sent for testing. Oh. Both, uh, there were books on cannibalism. Oh, no. A small round bone with the marrow sucked out of it. This was also sent for testing. Oh. I don't know if it was human or not, so yeah, don't, yeah. don't assume it. No, but I'm, yeah, still uncomfortable either way. Brown patches of human hair. Blonde patches of human hair, black patches of human hair, rings and necklaces, a flesh-colored candle with a catheter attached covered with a brown substance. What the I hell? I don't know what that is. Bondage straps and chains hanging from inner rafters of the home. Oh, my God. Handcuffs, 
box full of negatives sent to be developed, pictures of unknown children, a picture of a boy holding a fish dated 1959, Ooh. Illinois road map with two locations circled, a map of Millstream Park, location near where Jacob Wetterling's abduction took place, photos, paintings, and drawing of children being sexually oh, tortured, God. a novel by the man called Innocent Rage, and a 38 caliber gun. There were also many newspaper articles, posters, and laminated photos, uh, some notes on cardboard boxes of the following missing people and children. Sandy Bertolas, mm -hmm. Cora Jones, Michael Wayne Dunahee, Melissa Lee Brannon. Mm. At the time of Sitt's confession, uh, Jacob's Wetterling, Jacob Wetterling's murder was yet unsolved. Okay. However, in 2016, another man admitted that he had done it and showed police where the body was. So it wasn't the seats guy. But before seats could be grilled thoroughly about any other potential crimes, he died. Hmm. Seats family claimed he'd been a psychic and he was trying to help families, which might explain some of these things that he had in his possession. Uh, uh, might. Okay. I'm saying might. I yeah, didn't yeah. say would. No, no, for sure. And interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, Crystal Dunahee said that this man was familiar to her, that he, as a psychic, had reached out to her to help. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Oh, I still have to question, like, those drawings that were found yeah. in photos uh, of uh, children, yeah. uh, you yeah. know. It's awful. Yeah, they, it gives me some skepticism, into, but there it's were, just bizarre. It, very bizarre. There were no links between Seitz's admission to the 1950 murders and any other crimes, including mm -hmm. the disappearance of Michael Dunahee. Nothing has turned up. Okay, so. Uh, in 2011, Michael Dunahee's case helped to launch the missingkids.ca site. Mm. This was uh, Crystal being driven by her tireless efforts to find Michael. Uh, she became an advocate for missing children. She's now the president of Child Find BC. Oh, good for her. And a board member of Child Find Canada. Mm. And she was instrumental in launching this site and michaeldunahee.ca. Yeah. And Crystal was given the Order of British Columbia for her work in the community in oh, 2011. Man. This woman's amazing. Caitlin, Michael's sister... She runs the We Will Never Forget Michael Dunahy page on Facebook. Mm. So the whole family's involved. Wow. In 2013, a Surrey man who said he had no memory before the first grade believed there was a possibility he could be Michael Dunahy. Do you remember this? I don't. I do. There was a little bit of a resemblance to the age-progressed uh, photos. Oh. And however, after DNA testing, it was determined that this man was not in fact, Michael Dunahee. Thank you, DNA. Last year, the Victoria PD made their annual post about Michael Michael's disappearance near okay. the anniversary. Yep. And it said, Tomorrow marks the 27th anniversary of Michael Dunahee's disappearance. Four-year-old Michael Dunahee went missing from Blanchard Elementary School on March 24th, 1991. Michael was last seen around 12.30 p.m. in the area of the school playground. Michael's disappearance spawned one of the largest police investigations in Canadian history. To this day, we continue to receive tips and investigators assigned to the file believe that the one tip we need to solve Michael's disappearance is still out there. Officers remain committed to this investigation and continue to investigate Michael's disappearance. If anyone has information about Michael Dunahee's disappearance, 
they can contact Vic PD's dedicated tip line at 250-995-7444 or to remain anonymous, Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or 8477. But, I would love for the safe return of Michael Dunahy, of above all. Yes. Um, in a CBC interview in 2013, Crystal Dunahy said, in a mother's heart, I still believe he's out there somewhere, and yeah, we hope so too. Absolutely. Maybe next year, having been found alive and well, Michael can do that post on the on the uh, Vic PD's website oh. saying thank you to everybody who's been seeking him for all these yeah. years. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. There are those cases where the families have been reunited. Yep. We mentioned the girls in Ohio. Yep. There's J.C. Dugard. Yep. Uh, Elizabeth Smart. Yep. Stephen Stainer from I Know My Name is Stephen. Maybe yes. his story isn't quite as uplifting as some toward the end, mm -hmm. but... Uh, Michael could also be thinking he's adopted somewhere, like Steve Carter. Yes. A guy from the U.S. From ABC News, Steve Carter thought he was adopted. He didn't know he was listed missing for decades. Carter, a software salesman in Philadelphia, was adopted from a foster home in Honolulu when he was four years old. In 2010, he found himself on a missing children's website. It was confirmed that he was actually Mark's Panama Moriarty Barnes. His biological mother had disappeared with him as an infant 34 years prior. Mm. As an adopted person myself, I can confirm that curiosity is a big part in dealing with that. Oh, I would imagine so. Uh, the question of connection to your birth family yeah. is always on your mind. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps Michael is out there wondering somewhere, who am I? Yeah. You know, like I'm adopted or whatever. DNA is a way you can learn more. Yep. Perhaps in an effort to discover his own roots, Michael, now 32, has done something like 23andMe or MyHeritage or one of those sites. Yeah. As soon as we started this, I was one of the first thoughts I, I had is mm. that that would be something incredible. Imagine the joy of the Dunahy family, you know, uh, Caitlin or, or uh, Crystal putting their their DNA up on, the, on one of these sites and saying, here's your son. Yeah. You know, like, boom, it's that fast. I'm sure the smart folks at uh, Victoria PD are, are all over that already, but uh, I can't imagine it, the joy that they would find. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, uh, look at the Zodiac, not the Zodiac, look at the uh, ears on. Like, yeah, I mean, that's never thought that would be caught. He would be caught or solved. Yep. And boom, it was because of that technology. And it would be great to see some more positive come from from this tech, this readily available technology now. If you want to learn more about the Michael Dunahy case, go to michaeldunahy.ca. Or if you want to learn more about what to teach your kids and what to do if parents have thought one of them goes missing, the site Crystal Assisted with MissingKids.ca is a wonderful resource. Yeah. We'll post links to all of those in the show notes. It's a fantastic resource. I, I recommend every parent and uh, just any adult, every adult, go and check it out. So that's it for this week's episode. Welcome back, Scott. Yeah, I'm glad we started with something light. <laughs> it's a welcome back, Scott. Yeah, that that was not light by any means. No, but this is it's 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 a pretty monumental and important case in in Western Canadian history, if not Canadian. Well, we are going to try and take on some more of the monumental cases in Canadian history yeah. uh, as things go on. There's going to be a few that people have been screaming for us to do that we're probably going to continue to avoid. <laughs> but then there are other ones that now I am I'm willing to uh, to do. Yeah. So I've been doing a lot of reading and research, so we have some 
some biggies coming up. But I, th- I think what, when we first started, we talked about that a lot, and those big cases get enough coverage. They, they're so we were kind of they weren't ones we felt we needed to to jump into for the most part. We uh, wanted to cover uh, uh, cases and events that uh, might not have as much. Uh, coverage Cov- or, yeah, yeah you know and so but yeah or ones like uh ones like the wesley hallam case that had zero coverage yes you know yes. like outside of the sioux yes and that was one of the most fascinating cases that i think we've done yes and we got a lot of feedback on that yeah. one and no app exactly so but yeah i mean I, i'm totally down to to uh, throw in some some uh so we'll do some of the canadian heavy hitters yeah this year, 2019 yeah. is going to be a big year for this podcast, and we're going to have uh, some multiple part sort of series things that we do. Yeah. Should be interesting. Damn Skippy. Before we go, we want to give some shout outs to our Patreon patrons, and Happy New Year to everybody, first of all. Happy New Year. This week's good eggs are, this is an interesting spelling, it's asparagus with three Zs, <laughs> and yes, I so asparagus well, thank you, asparaguses. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we don't know where asparagus is from. But, um, but I could tell ground? you, I could smell it oh, when, I, when I went pee pee. Oh, ayo. Ayo. Oh, boo. Gabe Hendrickson from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hey, Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. Thanks, Gabe. Angel Rogers from Fletcher, North Carolina. Somebody oh. else from, they must like my North Carolina. When I do that. If that's the case, Angel, let us know if it's because of Mike's accent. It's probably because of your lack of one. <laughs> what? My Canadian accent. Andy, who didn't leave where he lives, so I said he's from somewhere in the wilds of Canada. Oh, yeah, he's probably uh, foraging for... In Nunavut. Yeah, oh, sure. Maybe he's a rugged individualist or something. Yeah, yeah, we've we've created your identity, Andy. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Uh, Elizabeth Hine from Chicago, Illinois, where we will be in July. Oh, so Elizabeth, come see us. hello, yep. and Hi. maybe you get to shake our hands in July. That would be nice. awesome. Yeah, that would be so cool. Kelly Keene from Snoqualmie, Washington, and oh. that's one of my favorite name places to, to say, it Snow, is, Snoqualmie. It is a great name and a great place, and uh, welcome, Kelly. Thank you. Uh, Betsy DeLong, and she's from somewhere out there as well. We can make up. And I and a life for her as well. Um. Okay, Betsy DeLong. I I think that she's an what env- what is the environmental long, scientist? She's an environmental scientist. Yeah, living out of Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. She's, she's thirty-seven, and she has one foot longer than the other, thus the name DeLong. Well, and everybody knows that about her. I right. Mean, that, yeah. No. That that's a gimme. That's a gimme. She loves bubblegum. Hmm. Yeah. So, Betsy, if that's really the case, great. If it's not, we hope we didn't offend you at all. I'm pretty much a profiler. Uh, Katie Moore from Calgary, Alberta. Hey, Katie. Diana Staresnik dean from Ottawa, Kansas. Oh, oh, that threw a curveball my way. Ottawa, Kansas. Diana, why are you confusing me like that? Nancy Eves. No address given. So we have to do it for Nancy. Yeah, no, totally. So Nancy Eves, uh, her job is she actually cleans out eaves. I wish she'd come do ours because when it rains, we can't do the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And she, it is completely coincidental that that's her career because she got married into that name. Oh. And she was already, her job was cleaning out eaves. Uh, what was, what was her name prior? 
Shoe Swap. Nancy Shoe Swap Eves. Yep. Yeah, but uh, uh, this is married, and she's um, she's actually six foot seven too. Wow, which really helped in her her career choice. Nancy. Yeah. Oh, I get you, because then she just has to reach up and scoop. Well, doesn't have to climb as high. It's much better for safety. Uh, yeah, I'm little. Center of gravity. You is and much I would lower. both probably die on a roof. Somewhere. I'd probably blow away. <laughs> I'd be one of the leaves. Well, at least I wouldn't blow away. I know I wouldn't. Well, then you. But there'd be a sliding and a big splat. <laughs> so it, it, I, I hope we're accurate with this, Nancy. I, I'm fairly certain we're not. Oh, I think I nailed it. Kristen Clark from Clinton, Illinois. Hmm? Illinois. Uh, I don't know how close Clinton is to Chicago. I don't know either. However, Kristen, we mean? will be in Chicago in July. Just saying, Kristen. Just saying. Paige D from London, Ontario. Oh, Paige. Also, Harry Sims demanded a thank you from Scott as well. Yeah, Harry. He's very active in the Yumber Yard. He's a good and guy. I'm enjoying his posts. So, hey, Harry, a I, I, big, big, big thank you to you. Now, I'm not saying any of these people are, are, this has happened with, but of note, I've never seen so many declined credit cards as I did this month in the Patreon <laughs> software. I, I wonder why. Well, it's because it's Christmas the holidays, time. holidays, everybody's going bankrupt so, buying their kids crap. So everybody goes right to the edge of Christmas time, yeah. and then they can't afford to pay dark poutine. No, no, that's <laughs> funny. Hey, that's, if it meant that you, you, you got your uh, yep. loved ones, or you just bought yourself a TV. Exactly. Kind of at it. Yeah, if the kids had fun, yeah. that's all that matters to us. Yeah. We'll bought, live. Bought yourself or not. Some, but, <laughs> we'll be out on the street. Bought yourself some new clogs with that Christmas money. Clogs. Yeah. Mm, Crocs, maybe. Boo, I hate those. They make my feet stink. Oh, I loathe those shoes. Uh, thank you so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. If you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or for a one-time support, you can send us some donut money at PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. And we actually did get some PayPal money this what? week. Katie Moore, oh. who we mentioned up above, Whoa. also sent some cash to PayPal. And she messaged me to let me know it was her and Katie. it wasn't a mistake. And yeah, so thanks. Wow. Spectacular. A double whammy from wow. Katie. Betty Ruth Brown, no relation to me. She sent us some dough, as did Stacy White. Thank you so much. Oh, Betty and Stacy, thank you guys. Well, that's it. Check, check out our website www.darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine and tell your friends about us. Especially fun is the Umber Yard. We've talked enough about that. Yes, we have. You can subscribe to us in your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. And that's it. Until next week. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. A good bye and Happy New Year. Toodaloo.
new on Showcase. They call me the Christchurch Carver. Based on the international bestseller. This trademark souvenir. Can't stop thinking about the apple. Usually he eats it. I've got a copycat on my hands. I know who you are, Joe. I know what you do. You have two days to find a copycat. This is way harder to make sense of when you didn't do it. Dark City, The Cleaner, all new Wednesdays on Showcase. Stream on Stack TV.